Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 350. Hey, welcome back. I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Wow, 350 sounds kind of like a milestone. With a cool number like that, you've got to match it up with a great guest. That's just what we've done today with Brandon Barnes. Brandon is a real estate investor and owner of REI Live Atlanta, a meetup group. Now, after his exit from a successful career in corporate America, Brandon entered the wholesaling industry and quickly scaled his real estate company to over $1 million in yearly revenue by firing himself and focusing on team building and networking. Today, I'm going to talk with Brandon about how he's been able to build a virtual kind of remote real estate business. In a time like today we're living in, I think that's really important and applicable. So with that, Brandon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure, Brandon. Well, hey, can you start off by just telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, your background, and kind of how you got involved in the world of real estate investing? Yeah. So, you know, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I actually started college here at Georgia State and I transferred. I wanted to go to a bigger school. So I transferred up to Purdue University, finished out my collegiate years there and got a job right out of college with the H.J. Hines company, worked for the big ketchup company producer. Um, And, you know, I was going to rotate into, you know, different positions and, you know, they ended up getting bought out. Then I found another job with, you know, Kraft Oskemeyer. They got bought out. I had a chance to come back home to Atlanta and, you know, three for three, they were acquired too. And I (laughs) ran into this issue. I got fired at the end of that stint. And I had a buddy that is, you know, was always talking about real estate, always talking about real estate when I met him in Pittsburgh and I asked him, Hey, what's going on with this real estate thing? He was like, bro, I moved to Atlanta. You can come by, you can learn, you know, get in the mentor program with me and we'll drive for dollars and, you know, you know, I'll show you the ropes. And so from 2016, I started real estate investing, wholesaling specifically and never looked back. And four years later, millions of dollars in real estate transactions. I have the meetup group that you mentioned, and I'm actually also coaching other people to learn how to do this business the right way by sending more offers. I love it. Let's jump right into it. I got a question for you. And that is, you know, wholesaling is a very common path for people to enter into the real estate investing world, right? Some of the benefits are you don't have to have a ton of money to get started. You can kind of do this remote thing, but you see a lot of people try that angle, fizzle out. What separates, in your opinion, successful wholesalers from people who maybe just never get that traction? Yeah. I mean, look, for starters, There's a lot of people out there that think wholesaling is just like finding other people's deals and finding a buyer for them. And so, you know, as you know, from the start, the wholesaling is the art of finding off market properties at a discount 
And we do that repeatedly by working directly with homeowners. So from the jump, a successful wholesaler is one that's creating their own opportunities, finding their own deals, and they're always direct to seller. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think there's a lot of translatable skills that you learn in wholesaling that carry over if you decide to take this to a different kind of niche or uh, investing strategy, right? But that kind of go out and get your own deal mentality, go and kind of hustle and find those deals and find those leads and nurture those, right? And take those to, you know, getting them under contract and closing them. I think that's a skill that is so important in the real estate investing world. 100%. I mean, it's that. But then that next layer, that next step is to, you know, build it out, build your team out and, you know, operate as a business instead of just hustling real estate. It's, you know, having a system, having, you know, my first hire was an administrative assistant and she's been my rock and and she supported the team. Now I have, you know, cold callers, acquisition manager, disposition manager. And so everybody has a job that they do. And so you know, every day consistently, you know, I know people are being spoken to, leads are being generated, offers are going out. And, you know, if we have something under the contract, we're communicating with buyers nonstop. And so building it out as a business. So everything isn't on that wholesaler, you know, to do as by themselves is super, super important to have those team members that are constantly talking to homeowners so that need the owner, you know, I myself am able to work on the business and not always in the business. I love that quote. And I'm glad you bring it up, Brandon. You know, as real estate investors, one of the reasons you get into real estate investing is the ability to leverage, leverage other people's time, other people's money, the bank's money, government benefits and, you know, tax depreciation and things like that. You're leveraging all these different resources. As a wholesaler, you're advocating, hey, leverage the power and the ability of your team rather than going out and being that solopreneur, that hustler, that grinder, right? You're still having to do those things and work. But like you said, you're working on the business, not in the business. That's an interesting business model. I really find that it works well in this wholesaling strategy. Let's kind of talk about some of the benefits of how you've built your business. It's fully remote. It's automated. And in today's day and age, that's really vital, right? We're no longer in the world of you know being able to go out and shake hands with a property owner or a buyer or a seller, whoever that may be. And it also lends itself well to being able to go out of your market. So maybe talk to some of those things, will you? Yeah. I mean, so I created this virtual model out of necessity. It was an opportunity for me to go on and hire team members because Early on, you know, once we turned on the cold callers, it still was on me to try to go to appointments and try to meet everybody that came over as a lead and, you know, try to get offers out. And I realized like on a good week, you know, it was good for me at the time if I maybe got out 10 offers and that was very tough and hard to come by. And I realized, look, we aren't able to do deals if we're not actually putting an offer in front of the seller. So once I said, hey, well, I want to hire somebody to do that, I wanted to be able to continue to make them most of, as productive as possible. So I changed to instead of them you know, going to every appointment in person, just having conversations and making offers over the phone. And that was a leap for me because my mentor originally told me, you know, build rapport, go to the property. And so I had a, two friends that 
you know, were doing things virtually and making those offers over the phone. And I really wasn't a big believer in it until we just started to try that out. And I realized that what I had to do was figure out a way to show my team member, you know, how to come up with the offer price just based off of as is sold comps in the area. So once I dialed that in, once I, you know, came up with a process of coming up with that offer price over the phone, I wrote out a script so that he could literally, you know, I could pay them hourly just to be on the phone, talking to homeowners, having a deeper conversation, looking at the comps and making the offers over the phone. And so that, even though, you know, 95% of the deals we do are right here in Atlanta, we're still only going to the property after it's under contract. So it's transferable. If I, if I said, Hey, I wanted to go jump into another market. Our business is already set up to do that. We would just need boots on the ground out there. But originally this was just something that I built out so that I could have a, a team member get more offers out. And the byproduct of that was just us being virtual in nature. Yeah, sure. Brandon, as you know, real estate investing is a relationship-based business. And in this kind of remote, socially distanced era we find ourselves in, how are you being able to still kind of maintain and build that report with prospective sellers and buyers when you're not necessarily able to go out to the property and meet with them or meet at the closing table or whatever that relationship looks like? Yeah. I mean, for the seller side, it's just having a longer conversation having a more detailed conversation, slowing them down, slowing ourselves down to really build rapport over the phone. It can be done. It can be done. You know, another strong uh, suggestion would be to have like testimonials on your website, social proof. You know, when you actually get to the closing table, you potentially meet the seller, you know, record a video and put that up on the website kind of for social proof. And then you can always refer the homeowners that you're speaking to. Hey, go check out our website. We got some testimonials. We do deals and we're talking to sellers at the closing table. And so that kind of balances it out by, you know, just having the upfront conversations on the phone, but it's a deeper conversation. We want to make sure that we explore their issues. We talk about what's going on in their background and then we give them solutions and how we can help them fulfill their goals of ultimately usually is just selling the home on their timeline at their price. So it's a deeper conversation up front. And then, like I say, I strongly suggest that people get testimonials from a closing table, put them on their website, and they can refer to that and say, hey, you know, we do exist. We are people um, yeah. and leverage those testimonials as well as those deeper conversations. Yeah. Having an online presence is uh, vital in today's day and age. I want to ask you about kind of the end buyer, Brandon. I'm sure they're both homeowners and investors alike, but let's kind of focus on that investor and buyer. How can a wholesaler best work with an investor and how can an investor best work with a wholesaler in your opinion? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, ultimately there's one way that I approached it and, you know, hey, cash buyers are a dime a dozen. You know, if you, you know, find, you know, if you get a good deal, it'll sell itself. So that's one way to look at things. But over time, I've built relationships with a few key investors that is super important to have because there's going to be certain situations where you either can't get back in the house or you may want to try to sell the home without a walkthrough or just based off of pictures. And so having those deeper relationships or private funding 
even having deep relationships with a few is good. But, you know, honestly, we build our list. We are active on, in social media, the investor Facebook groups and engaging people on different sites like that to where when we have a deal, we'll send it out to our buyers list. I always like to uh, price things at a reasonable amount. I had a, a buyer just call me recently and say, you know, I don't even look at most wholesalers emails because they're usually saying that, you know, it's the home is worth X and the repairs are super low and it's a great deal and it's really no meat on the bone. Well, I don't do that. We base our offer price to sellers and our asking price to buyers um, off of sole comps in the area. So there should be meat on the bone, so to speak. And so by, you know, pricing things accordingly, not speaking as if we know, you know, I don't put uh, comps in our emails. I don't put repair estimates. I say, do your own due diligence. So if I get something under contract, we send it out to our buyers list. I price it to sell. And if, if I can get multiple people at full asking, we'll counter. But I price things to sell. I don't put assumptions that you know aren't believable. I let them do their own due diligence. And we just present a very professional package for them to easily be able to see the information, come to the inspection, uh, and ultimately get closed. So you know, I think it's a professional a, a way to professionally market your deal once it's under contract, share it with everybody. But then after you start to do deals with a few people, you know, build on those relationships so that you have those strong buyers as well for sticky situations that you could use some assistance. When you're looking at these pro formas, whether that's from a wholesaler or a multifamily broker or whoever it may be, you always have to do your own due diligence. Sometimes people tend to paint a bit more rosy of a picture, or maybe they're just underwriting it in a way that you're not actually going to execute that business plan, right? Maybe they're underwriting it like a flip and you're going to buy it as a rental or whatever that right might be, right? So it's important to always do your own due diligence, dig into the numbers and make the decision based on how you're going to execute the deal. Agree. Agree. hundred percent. Well, let's kind of talk about some of the uh, benefits, pros, cons of getting into wholesaling as opposed to entering the real estate world through a different avenue. Sometimes you see people enter into the multifamily space, maybe buy a single family, maybe they're fix and flipping. What do you find that was so appealing to you about wholesaling and how can other people kind of get into it? Yeah. I mean, when people say, you know, no money down, you know, wait again. Like I did. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's not very true. You know, it could be little money down. Like sure. And the flip side of that is you need to have a lot of time to be able to invest if you want to go the little money down route. But um I was at a point where again I was fired. I was really two weeks after getting married. So I had all the time in the world and I had, you know, limited funds. And so for me, that was the only option for me to get into this business. And that was by, you know, working my tail off, leveraging my time to, you know, be out in the field, you know, looking at driving for dollars, finding homes that could be improved and reaching out to those homeowners. So you can get into this business for sure with, you know, limited resources. If you have time and, you know, have at least some money for gas or postage or again, time to make some phone calls. It was an entryway for me that worked. Also, like I said, because I had limited resources upon being fired from my last corporate role. So 
this was the only avenue for me. But to your point, you know, there are opportunities to get into, you know, multifamily from here, get into holds. I've done a few small rehabs. I've, you know, bought a few properties for rent because once you are able to find deals consistently, you have one major piece of the puzzle, you know, and then other people can, you know, either bring funds or uh, bring skill set. And this skill is transferable to multifamily. You know, you got to learn a little bit more on underwriting, et cetera, and having those types of conversations. But you can apply similar skills from finding single family properties to multifamily as well. And that's fully my intention to be able to do here in the future. Yeah. Well, obviously, I know very little about wholesaling. That's why we're talking to a professional like you. So when I say it takes little or no money down, don't listen to me. I don't know what I'm talking about, right? You know, let's kind of talk about some of the skills that you find that are very relatable that lend themselves well to uh, wholesaling. Like you came from corporate America. You know, in my perspective, I see a lot of engineers, accountants, kind of these math and science kind of folks, but those types of backgrounds do well in real estate. What kind of skills do you see that translate well to wholesaling? Yeah. For one, communication skills is, is important. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, just being able to communicate well to sellers, buyers, they're going to, you know, people do build, do business with people that they like. So that's the most important being able to, you know, if you're working in a corporate world, you should have had experience dealing with talking to different types of people. And that's exactly what you're going to face when you're in this business because you're talking to different types of sellers, different types of buyers. So that should prepare you off the top. Another thing from corporate experience and background is just how to manipulate a simple spreadsheet. You know, use a, use a database, just having some level of um, you know, understanding of how that works because you are going to manipulate data you are going to, you know, you know, use a database at some point and just be at least a little bit dangerous right on the computer, right? So <laughs> sure. that, that's important as well. But the last thing that I, I highly suggest is leadership skills. So I had uh, supervision experience working at some manufacturing facilities. And so uh, as I transitioned from a solopreneur, right, to a business owner with team members, being able to lead them effectively towards a common goal was also super important for me. Now, there's going to be people out here. I know buddies that do a bunch of deals with you know little marketing dollars. They use referrals or they don't have a team. They're doing a massive amount of deals. And that works too. There are some people that I know that aren't college educated that do massive amount of deals. Because they have a different set of skills. They have the hustle, the determination, that fire, that entrepreneurial fire in their bellies. And that's helpful. But, you know, I think, you know, if you mix that with a little bit of technical savvy and leadership, you know, that's a triple threat. You got the whole package there. I love it. Talking about the strengths. Let's talk about maybe some things you see trip up new investors and wholesalers alike. Anything you see where people kind of tend to struggle with or trip over themselves starting out? Yeah, a lot of times I see that people get too invested in one deal, one mm. situation, and their marketing isn't consistent. It's like a roller coaster ride. You know, they're working, they get a deal, they're trying to get the deal closed, and then it closes, and then they haven't been marketing for 
the last few weeks and then they're down again and they're up again and they're down. And it, that trips up a lot of people. You have to act as if, you know, none of these deals are going to close. And so when they do close, it helps because you've been consistent looking always at the next deal. You know, to actually run this as a business, you have to have consistency in your marketing. It's a, it's like a big locomotive train that should not be stopped, derailed, slowed down because it's going to be times where even if your marketing is consistent that you still don't get deals. But, you know, if you're consistent, they'll come back around. They'll fall out the sky and you'll say, Hey, I needed that right now. And so it's just super, super important that folks continue, continue to stay consistent in their marketing, whatever that's going to be. I suggest dominating one channel. If you're going to cold call, be the best cold caller. If you're going to put up bandit signs, be the you know most bandit sign placing dude out there. But whatever <laughs> it is, they have to stay consistent so that the marketing never stops. I completely agree with you when you're talking about that roller coaster. Somebody's, you know, as the solopreneur, just putting all their effort towards this one deal, right? And then they're kind of neglecting the other parts of their business. So I kind of think of these things in two pieces, one a pipeline, two a funnel. You have to keep your pipeline full with leads, deals, whatever that looks like. And then the funnel part is just, you know, you're making offers or making cold calls or setting, you know, meetings or calls or whatever that looks like. And, you know, you're going to identify 100 leads, call 100 people, set 20 meetings, talk with one person and, you know, make one deal kind of thing. You know, it's like a funnel and there's many people out there that kind of preach that concept. What's your take there? Is that how you approach your business? Yeah. I mean, from our perspective, I mean, I really want, of course, to continue, you know, building that top of the funnel. That's something that we're actually, uh, it's kind of uh, challenging right now. We've been consistent cold calling, uh, but there's a lot more people that are getting into cold calling. And I want to send more, uh, you know, some targeted mail and some SMS to get to improve that top of the funnel. And so that our pipeline stays a little bit more consistently full. And, you know, if that kind of answers your question yeah, yeah. a little bit is, you know, I always say, hey, dominate that one channel. But if you see trends and different things are, that are happening, you know, work on that top of the funnel. So for me, that next step is adding in some SMS to people that don't pick up the phone and then send mail to those people that, you know, don't pick up the phone or text or you don't have a mobile number for them. Send mail to those people that you just have addresses for. And so it's a way to just increase that top of the funnel so that your deal flow and your pipeline stays full. Yeah, sure. Now, somebody might be thinking, Brandon, hey, this wholesaling thing sounds really cool. I'm interested in this thing. I'm a big systems and processes person. I think I'm going to get started. So you know, maybe they have an expectation. I'm going to go out and I'm going to identify 10 deals and I'll call 10 sellers and I'm sure I'll get two or three deals out of it, right? Unless you're very lucky, it's probably not going to work like that. In your opinion, what kind of like numbers are you seeing in terms of, you know, contacts made, follow-up calls, follow-up meetings to get one deal? You kind of follow me there? Yeah. So in our business, it's almost, you know, 25 solid leads and then sending 25 offers to those leads should equate to one deal. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, but they're solid. Like they, they have to be kind of in your consistent pipeline. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's a, if it's a brand new beginner that goes out and they're maybe not getting their leads may not be the strongest or they're not maybe making the right offers, that number may go up. 
But in our business, you know, with the consistency that we've had, you know, understanding what is a lead, what's not, and making offers that are on target, you know, relative to its as is value, you know, about 25 leads, 25 offers, I'm expecting one signed contract. Now, going back to what you said in the beginning of the interview, you said, you know, wholesaling is really the art of finding off-market deals at a discount. And I like how you distill that down because then you can take that and you can apply it to different hold strategies, right? Whether you want to buy and hold a rental property or fix and flip it or, you know, syndicate a deal or whatever it is, you still need that skill to be able to go out and find off-market deals at a discount. If you can do that, you can be a successful real estate investor. So I like that you kind of take that underlying skill of wholesaling and apply it to a broad spectrum of people. Do you think that's accurate? It is. It is. Because I think that you can apply this to different businesses outside of real estate. I think that, you know, if I wanted to, and I do want to at some point, you know, get into, you know, self-storage or yeah. a billboard or something. Oh, or, really or interesting. Right. Yeah. And what I would do, and I've talked to this, talked about this with my wife. What I would do is I would just go and find people that should be motivated. So if I could find some record of, you know, a group of self storage owners and identify the folks that have owned it for 20, 30 plus years, you know, they should be a little bit more motivated to potentially take an offer. And then I would, you know, skip trace them. I would find their information. And then I would reach out. I would understand like what's a good way to come up with the offer price, something that's reasonable. And then I would just make a bunch of offers to those people that own self-storage or billboards. And so this method of finding, you know, off market. So something that's not being actively listed for sale, a services or products at a discount, which the people that would be willing to you know, sell something at a discount, there's usually some level of motivation there. And so for us in this business, it's, you know, usually tired landlords, but it could be tired self-storage owners or tired billboard owners or somebody that just, you know, inherited, you know, something, a set of self-storage facilities. So that art can be applied to so many different things of just finding something off market that should have some level of motivation and then make offers to them until they agree. Got it. Yeah, I love that. You know, I just wanted to be able to pull that out. So if the audience members are thinking, well, I'm just not really into wholesale. I'm really trying to build a buy and hold portfolio. Don't tune out because there are many skills in this wholesaling kind of business that are very translatable to probably what you were doing. So I just wanted to kind of pull that out, make it, you know, emphasized for the audience members there. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Okay, Brandon. So one last question I want to kind of wrap up with here before we enter our lightning round is I want to understand how you've built your team, what that looks like, what they do, and any advice for someone trying to build a virtual and remote team in their business. Yeah. So there are you know different types of employees, right? So anybody that I want front-facing, speaking to a seller, I want them to be US-based if possible, if all possible. And so I'm going to find them any place that people look for jobs. So indeed, Glassdoor, you know, this is a real business. We're going to put out a real job ad and try to find people that fit this role the best. There are other positions that I've found that, you know, a virtual assistant in the Philippines could be good to fill. And so there's 
you know, places for that, upwork.com, yeah. onlinejobs.ph. And so I found those types of team members on those sites, but anybody, you know, front facing with a seller or a buyer. So acquisition manager, disposition manager, or US based cold caller, putting a job ad out there like that is helpful. And we, I do a traditional, you know, process for taking them through, you know, filtering out who I want to interview and giving them an audition. And so that was just something that, you know, over time, I knew as I wanted to grow, I needed more activity, more people talking to sellers. And so we put, you know, job ads out there, you know, I vetted them, gave them an audition, and I went on and hired those specific key team members. So for me, I always suggest an administrative virtual assistant first as your first hire, because that person is going to support you, support your business. You want them full time. And as you bring on other team members, they're there to support them as well. And then for me, I wanted to go after cold calling. So I brought on some prospectors, some cold callers. But, you know, if you said, Hey, I want to do mail, you know, you, you may not need that person. But the biggest kind of the key hire was that acquisitions manager, the person that would be speaking to homeowners, making offers, seeing if they wanted to move forward is that acquisitions manager. And that finally allowed me the freedom to step away from having conversations with sellers on a daily basis. And then after that, you can hire a disposition manager, basically a sales manager to sell the deals as you get them under contract. And so it's just, it's a regular, you know, this is a business. It's like anybody else has a business. And so we go where people look for jobs and we post job ads there. We vet them and we bring them on. I started off 1099 team members, transitions to W2 and, you know, operated as a business. I love it. Well, hey, Brandon, this has been an awesome conversation, super fun and very insightful. I think, you know, there's a lot of relatable advice here to many real estate investors out there, whether they're wholesaling, fix and flipping, buy and holding. So tons of great stuff here. I'd love to keep it going, but let's go ahead and wrap up with the lightning round. Are you up let's for it? it? Yeah. Okay, let's cool. do it. The first question is, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And then what'd you do to overcome that? The biggest hurdle was the financial constraints. After being just fired, I, you know, very early on did some driving for dollars. I actually think that summer, my wife did a little driving for Uber. There was some financial constraints, but, you know, as I stayed consistent, I found my niche within the niche. I started actually sending probate letters. So at a very low cost, I was actually able to do larger deals. And that driving for Uber lasted for about like six weeks for my wife. So <laughs> good, good. I was able to pull her out of the car pretty quickly. <laughs> there you go. Well, Brandon, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? Reading, I think, is a big important thing. I would suggest there's a few good books that I read early on. The E-Myth, The One Thing, Traction. Or probably like those top three. And then Profit First was another good one. Mike Michalowicz, uh, which talks about, you know, how you set up your business financially to pay yourself first and then, you know, the rest of your bills. So, you know, reading is super important. And there's some good books that I think would help out any new business owner and or wholesaler. Awesome. Do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day to day? Slack is super important for our team. It's like uh, Microsoft Teams almost. And it's how we communicate internally, good morning, welcome, sharing information, deals, et cetera. So use, we use Slack very heavily and believe it or not, Zillow. 
we come up with our offer prices just based off of sold comps that we see in Zillow. Yeah. Um, so those are probably the two most used. And if I had a third, it would be DocuSign because we're sending out those offers every day. Sure. Got to keep it virtual, right? <laughs> well, Brandon, the fourth question I always ask is a favorite book recommendation and why? Now, you just named about four there. Those were Traction, <laughs> E-Myth. What were the, the other two? Thing. The One Thing by Gary Keller. Yeah. And Profit First. Yeah. So yeah. four great books there. Any one of those stick out in your mind and why? The One Thing. I think that that was super important. That actually helped me realize what was the most important thing for me in, in our business. And I was sending more offers. It's, you know, what's one thing that you could do right now that would make everything else that much easier. And so it just helped me stop being, you know, pants on fire, running around, looking at everything and just focusing on my core function, my core, most important key metric. And, you know, pushing that forward helped me push my business forward with clarity, mental clarity on what to do. Awesome. We'll link all those books in the show notes. That book recommendation, once again, is The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papazon. It's sitting on my bookshelf right back here behind me. Great book. Absolutely recommended as well. So that'll be in the show notes if you want to check it out. Brandon, last question in the lightning round. If you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell 20-year-old Brandon? I would tell myself to network earlier. I had a mentor early. But networking earlier would be important. I spent a lot of time just focused in on my business in the basement, working with my assistant. And there were, you know, different opportunities. Every time that I, you know, finally I went to like a meetup group, I was amazed by who I met and the connections that I made. But usually it was like, Hey, you know, I got to go to this meetup or this RIA meeting and I don't want to go. I don't want to be around all these people. And. You know, just a level of fear and anxiety. Sure. Um, but every time I would go, then I would just meet more people. So I would say network more, be open to, to networking more, um, and then be patient with results. That would probably be the advice. And now you find yourself on the opposite end of the coin, hosting meetup groups, being that networker, being that connector, and also being that coach. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah. So I have a great group of folks that I'm helping. My mentor had told me, you know, if you got a gift, you don't share it, then, you know, why do you have that gift? And so because I've set up my business to where I don't have to be fully in it, talking to sellers each and every day, I'm able to help and work with my students and get them to a point where they're focused on the most uh, important income producing activity within their business, which is sending more offers. So I've given them a process of how to come up with the offer price faster how to actually submit the offer, you know, in an automated fashion, and then how to keep their leads in the dialer so that they could power dial all their leads. Those three things have really helped me and my business. And it's really helped our students that, you know, really now focus on what's the most important activities that they should be working on. And for me, that's sending more offers so that you have a better chance of getting something accepted. And, you know, if anybody wants to check it out, go over to sendmoreoffers.com, sendmoreoffers.com. Awesome. So that's the best place for people to kind of learn more about this wholesaling world, connect with you, find out all this information is sendmoreoffers.com. We'll link that in the show notes. Brandon, hey, it's been so much fun having you on the podcast. As we're wrapping up here, is there any parting piece of advice or guidance that you'd like to leave with the audience members? Yes, I always try to share 
that, you know, there are three themes or three keys to success. Consistency is the three C's. Consistency, continuous learning development, and, and coaching. So like networking and mentorship. But those three things, you can be successful in this business and other business. Just be super consistent. Continue to learn and develop and get a coach. You know, get somebody to help you get to where you want to be. That's going to help you focus your energy. So with those things, man, you can do anything and send more offers. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, Brandon, hey, it's been so much fun having you on the podcast today. Investor, coach, entrepreneur, business owner, Brandon Barnes. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Jacob. Take care. All right. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Brandon Barnes. Hey, I hope you're getting so much value from this podcast and from today's show. I'm a big believer that you can learn something from everyone. And that goes whether you're interested in wholesaling or fix and flip or multifamily. No matter what your niche and focus in investing is, there's always these golden nuggets I personally can take away from everybody, whether it's in more of a business perspective or a processes and systems or scaling or whatever it may be. So I hope you got something out of today's podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's show, you can find those in the show notes. Well, this week's episode was brought to you by Ayers Acquisitions, a real estate investment company that acquires cash flowing real estate in emerging markets. With the focus on multifamily investments, we seek value add opportunities in recession resistant markets and properties that generate strong returns for our qualified investors. If you want to learn more about what the team and I are doing there, the best place to do that is at www.airsacquisitions.com. From there, you can schedule a call with me personally to connect further. As always, until next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.